Does it sound slow to you? Am I crazy? Something's weird about it. Am I just it. getting a weird delay? It sounds like it's like seven eighths speed. <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound slow to me, but it, it sounds weird. You know what? Fuck it. This is the Rolling Stone Studs, <laughs> a podcast about the baddest boys of the British invasion. And you know what? This is our probably second to last episode, so we don't give a shit anymore. Let's yeah. just get the hell out of here. Um, who boy. Yeah. Um, you know, whenever we get to this point in any band's career, I say that. We've talked about two bands. It just, we yeah. are counting down the goddamn albums till we don't have to listen to it anymore. Yeah. Because, like, the, Be- yeah. the Beach Boys was kind of nice just because... They like, they had that one decent one, 1985's The Beach Boys, and then, and then like two or three garbage ones after it, but, and then that was it. But the Rolling Stones, you know, they've just been stringing us along for like 15 years now of like, this one might be good, maybe this one's good, and then it's just shitty all over again, and yeah, you know. It's it's a fun way to finish out a band's discography that their last 20, 30 years of their career is just all yeah. <laughs> just a, I mean very it's mediocre nice albums that you can exactly pinpoint the golden era of them. True, it's there's no argument about when the Rolling Stones were their best because it's really like a four year period <laughs> between yeah. nineteen sixty eight and nineteen seventy two, and then that's it. They've got a few Anything hits, outside but... of that is like, yeah. Yeah, man, it's... Uh... I mean, even the biggest defender of some girls, I don't think could argue that, like, the music around that album is worth yeah. revisiting. <laughs> or, like, even... Yeah, I... Oh, I'm PJ. Oh, yeah. Gosh, PJ, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Welcome to the podcast, Pete. Thanks. Um, Happy to be here. I just can't, even if you're like, you know, the Rolling Stones got really good after some girls. Like, do I trust that person's opinion? Yeah. No, I absolutely do not about anything. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they're one of those bands that, like, if you got into them later, like, maybe maybe you picked up Dirty Work. <laughs> yeah. And you were like, oh, I better check out this Rolling Stones band everyone talks about. You're like a you know younger kid in the '80s, and then you you know you think dirty work, dirty work. This is pretty good. These guys are very, <laughs> these guys are worth checking out more of. Yeah. And then you go backwards. There's no way you're coming back to to listen to Steel Wheels or uh, Undercover or anything, right? Man, like, no. no like, <laughs> if you like any one album throughout this era, it's like you're not gonna like another one. Yeah, it's the oasis in the in the vast, vast desert of the Rolling Stones catalog post. It's only rock and roll, if you're being nice. Yeah, well, and mostly people equate Oasis to the Beatles, so that's interesting that you would equate them to the Rolling Stones. Yeah, well, they're British, so that helps. That's true. Yeah, and the Beatles, famously not British. It, Germans, yeah. They're out of Hamburg, man. I don't know how you, how else you. It's true. That, but <laughs> she lieb dich, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, they had to, they had to uh, anglicize their name from the Silver Beatles into just the Beatles. 
That's right, because as everybody knows, there's no silver in England. Yeah. Well, they were originally, you know, like how old-timey football teams used to be, like, sponsored by, like, the companies they all worked for? Like, the Green Bay Packers, for example, were, like, a bunch of cheese-packing employees. Yeah. So they were, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Winston Cigarette Browns were. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They all worked in the factory. So the the Beatles actually they all they're all Germans who worked at the Volkswagen factory. And so they were like they had a battle of the bands, you know, internal just amateur night kind of thing. Right. And uh they turned out, you know, they turns out they were pretty good. Uh and especially Pete Best, just a rising star in the Volkswagen factory. He was line manager, you know, ready to be promoted. And so uh they just really had the full the full weight of the company behind them. Well, he was in charge of uh, hammering the wheels on, and he could do it two at a time with his drum yeah, skills. that's right. That's right. That's how he learned. They would. They were standing on the factory line. You know, they were on the factory line, and Pete started hammering out a rhythm while he was banging wheels in, and then, and then Paul looked over and was like, "Oh, that's pretty good." He got a break and line he started, and started playing. Yeah, he got a break line and started playing the bass, and then George. George and John just started strumming on, I don't know enough car parts <laughs> to know. They had guitars there, you know. Yeah, okay, yeah, they just brought their guitars out of the boots of the cars they were building. And, uh, you know, and then they they realized, like, we really think we could go somewhere with this. And then once they kicked Pete out, though, let me tell you, man, Volkswagen cut ties immediately. And they were like, you can't even use our name anymore. So then they had to change it to the, and then to, as a fuck you, they changed it to Beatles, but they didn't even spell it like Volkswagen. Yeah. They changed it to, well, that's, you know, that's also why their hair looked like that early on. They were trying to look like the car. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No one knew (laughs) during their first interviews, they were like, no, it's to look like, and they were like, I don't, this doesn't seem right at all. So I guess we'll just come up with our own name for the haircut and you know, yeah. So the untold history, you know, that's apparently what that new Peter Jackson Beatles documentary is about. I wondered. I've yeah. <laughs> I've heard he's shedding new light on the band's early history, to, you know, with Volkswagen recently uncovered facts. Yeah. Famously, Volkswagen has been, you know, in ties with the Nazi party, the Beatles. Sure. Yeah. Peter Stormare. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As far as I know, that's it. Mm hmm. That's right. You remember those Peter Stormare uh, Volkswagen commercials? Oh, who doesn't? They're classics. Sure. That's right. Uh, I don't know who Peter Stormare is. <laughs> oh, Peter Stormare, he, uh, you've seen the film Fargo, yes? Yeah, yeah. He's the guy who put Steve Buscemi in a, in a, uh, tree grinder. Mm. What the fuck you call that? Oh, gotcha. What are the Volkswagen commercials he's a part of? That's confusing. He would. It, it was like the mid two thousands, and he. I don't remember. He would be dressed all, in all white with like two other people dressed in all white, and he would go V dub, and that's all I remember about it. That's <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> what a commercial. Well, well I. And I just remember thinking, that's the guy from Fargo. Sure. You know, because I was That's the guy who wood chips 12. Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, it was Unpimp Your Ride. 
This is your 98, whatchamacallit. You got an F. You know what we're gonna do now? No. Unpimp your auto. It's it's a very, very pimped up, um, as as they said in the mid-2000s. Sure. Uh, Volkswagen yeah. of some sort. It's a royal blue color with a spoiler and a lot of stickers and stuff on it. It said the flame on the back, and then sure. an attractive Eastern European woman took the F off, and uh, it said the lame, <laughs> and she stuck it on him, and he said, you get an F. Let's continue the commercial now. Oh, it got crushed by a shipping container, and oh, inside no. the shipping container like is a new Volkswagen. Is it the updated bug, I'm assuming? No, it was uh, what looks to be like a Jetta or something. Um, um, but he it. just said, V-Dub, representing Deutschland, which to me, I don't know, is bad yeah. with their Nazi ties. I also think Peter Stormare is like Finnish or something weird. Oh, yeah, like not German at all. Yeah. Yeah, uh, interesting. Let's see. Peter Stormare. He's Swedish. So Not even close. He should have been doing Saab commercials. Exactly. Why didn't they get a David Hasselhoff, you know? A, yeah, sure. Uh, another german hey paul mccartney ah Bring him paul, back to the any fold, any know? of the beatles yeah. you know get them back in there yeah well here ringo unfortunately would have been the only ones alive that's true um, uh you know ringo seems like the type who would do a volkswagen commercial maybe yeah no, he'd be like you know it what? looks just like me yeah they both have enough money to wear i guess they don't really need to do ads huh no but they Did you know that Peter Stormare was uh, is on a show called Swedish Dicks? No, is it about private eyes? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, that's always funny. Yeah, that's pretty much always the funniest fucking thing. Well, yeah, I mean, when someone calls a private eye a dick, and then you're like, ha ha ha. That also means wiener. Mm-hmm. PJ, do you want to get to some listener mail? I would love to get to some listener mail. Listener mail. It's an ad. Sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say this song is way different than I remember. Listener mail. Oh yeah. Uh, so we haven't done this in a while. Uh, if you want to mail to email us, please do. We love getting emails from our dozens of listeners uh the email address is beachboysboys at gmail.com and if you don't know why the email address is named that go back and listen to the older episodes of this podcast and enjoy yeah. those they're much better than these so if you like this you'll love the beach boys boys <laughs> uh also i would like to say we are looking for a new podcast at the moment because we're almost done with the stones true we would love to get some fan suggestions we, we've kicked around a few ideas but we would love to hear from you so if you have any suggestions yeah. about the next band we do let us know we're trying to go with a band that is not white dudes from the 60s yeah that would be preferable um <laughs> the led zeppelin pull i gotta say is strong <laughs> yeah. but i think it might be a little too boring <laughs> 
That's so true. It'd be quick, we though. Will, uh, it would be quick. It would just be about 10 minutes of each album being like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. But And there's so, only, what, 12 um, episodes? Yeah, true. That's Oh, yeah, in that way, sure. Um, yeah, and then so you can email us, beachboysboys at gmail.com, and if you want to log into the email, it's um, capital... Uh, so then you can get in there and um, and send us emails from beachboysboys at gmail.com, like a fun little prank to like freak us out for Halloween because we're yeah. recording this very near All Hallows Eve. It's true. This might come out near Halloween, even let's nearer so. than us recording it. So let's see. We have a couple of emails, uh, and we do apologize profusely uh for how long it's been since we've done uh a check on the email because i think one of the ones we're going to talk about is from like july and that's yeah terrible uh that it's been that long so uh we do apologize but the first one is from robert okay robert who is a student at the university of nevada reno so did he hey, send it you know from what? his student account? At least he did, which wow. actually, no, he didn't. But his signature says, like, has a whole thing about being a UNR student and then also might have his phone number. So we can give that a call on air here after we read his email uh, to apologize. So let's see. So Robert says, sirs, nice, respectful. Start. Thank you. Thank you. Please make an episode talking about That's Why God Made the Radio. It's my favorite album. Feel free to mercilessly slay me on the podcast for that, but I really want to hear you discuss the material. Please? Respectfully yours, Robert. Well, Robert, I... first of all, thanks for keeping it short, and thanks for keeping yeah. it polite. Respectful. We love that. Yeah, very good. You, you know, you're the first guy who has sent one with maybe all of the qualifications. Yeah, I know, want. right? <laughs> He really did. He listened from the from the top, apparently, because we An go into detail listener. about. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know what, Robert? And here's the deal: we've had pressure from other sources to talk about. That's why God made the radio. Which, for those who don't know, was the newest Beach Boys album that came out in like 2012, and we just we didn't get to it because who cares? Yeah. Um, big Beach Boy media and, is trying to get us to talk about that album. Yeah, and we won't do it. Exactly. We don't cave to outside pressure. Uh, and you know what? Just honestly, at this point, it's the kind of thing that... It's kind of funnier that we haven't talked about it. Yeah, it's better that we haven't. Although now that we do have a real Lost episode and our undercover uh, recordings being being lost, it seems like maybe we should wrap up the Beach Boys. But no, because then it's... It's perfect. We have one yeah. lost episode from each one. Like Exactly. One we just didn't talk about. The yeah. other one we have my audio to, um, yeah. which would be very funny just to release that. Just me talking to myself. Let's see. I'm going to go hour. ahead and reply to Robert here. Um, All right. Robert. We're doing this live on air. Yeah. I am so sorry it took us so long to respond to your email. To be frank, we don't get many, so forget about it sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we are discussing your note 
on the 90s episode of the Rolling Stone Studs where we respectfully hear but decline your (laughs) plea for us to discuss your quote-unquote favorite Beach Boys That can't be true, right? That cannot be his favorite. (laughs) He didn't say favorite Beach Boys album. He said favorite album. That's true. He said favorite album, just favorite album, unqualified. (laughs) Which cannot be true. This guy's got to be messing with us, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, To maintain symmetry between all our current IP... <laughs> we we will leave one unreleased episode per run as we didn't okay yeah 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 please listen to RSS episode number what is this 29 or something yeah something like that for more information thanks for reaching out and we'd love for you to email again okay hey peter um yeah i just looked at our outgoing messages and literally the Mm -hmm. message you sent says go fuck yourself you little wank stain oh my god (laughs) which is awfully british of you. we're starting new beef yeah okay so Let's see. Well, now I'm actually just double checking. Yeah, no, we did not reply to him. I was like, I wonder if I replied and forgot. Okay, so that's from Robert. And so just we'll have to say, sorry, Robert. But no, we will not talk about that. So I got made the radio. Go listen. Well, we don't really want to send you another Beach Boys Boys podcast. But let's see, in 15 years or so, I think still on, we'll get to their eight part. That's why God made the radio <laughs> series. So just wait for that to come out and then go listen yeah. to that. Yeah. Um yeah. If you Let's like see. feet so dragging, our next that's a podcast email. For yeah. Our next email is from Alex Sanfilippo from podmatch.com. So, and Alex actually has a really interesting uh, thing to say about the show here. Um, oh, okay. And it's flattering that he's a, he's a listener. He says, hello there. I see you're an active podcaster, so I wanted to give you a membership to Podmatch. It's a service that automatically matches podcast guests and hosts for interviewees. Or for interviews. Even if you aren't featuring guests on the Beach Boys Boys. Oh, weird. It's the Rolling Stone Studs now. Well, whatever. I guess that's what it shows up as in Apple or whatever when you search, right? Yeah. Um, You can join Podmatch as a guest to be on other people's podcasts, which is a great way to grow your show. Here's a link to join for free. Have a great day. Oh, he's the founder of Podmatch. Wow. That's incredible. A message from the founder. The founder of a company. Loved our podcast so much, he decided to reach out. So I will say, Alex, light on the Rolling Stones or Beach Boys content. Um, But I got to say, I mean, here's the thing. Do any members of the Rolling Stones or Beach Boys have a podcast and are on Podmatch? Because then we would sign up if we could get some little... Even if we could get like a tangential member, if we could get a Blondie Chaplin... If you you know like uh, if we could even get Kevin yeah, Love on see. this podcast, I'm gonna go ahead and respond. Hi Alex, thanks for reaching out. 
Uh, we would like to confirm if any members of the Rolling Stones or Beach Boys or their acolytes are uh, have podcasts on Podmatch that we would be able to cross promote with. Thanks Thank for you. Your time. Peace. We love you. <laughs> Great. So we'll see what Alex says. We'll yeah, we'll probably get Mick on here within a matter of days. I oh, assume. yeah. I mean, yeah. Podmatch is big. Yeah. Okay. And then I think the most important one here. Um, okay. Yes. This is by far the best piece of the most important piece of mail we have possibly ever gotten. And I'm excited. Really makes me regret not having checked the email in a little bit. Uh, because okay, here we go. So Carlos from not Podmatch Pod Status. I guess maybe it's a subsidiary of the same. It thing, could be. You know? It yeah. sounds very. They similar. both use the word pod, which seems strange to me. Sure, yeah, because it's like if you weren't the same company, it's just weird. Yeah. So he says hello. How's it? How's it going? Hope all is well. Which is a great start to an email. Um, he has some cool information that might interest you. Your podcast, The Beach Boys Boys, has good performance in Apple Podcast rankings in the last 30 days, which we knew. I mean, yeah. we get our we get our numbers on when we release an episode, and we know that we do pretty well. But Carlos here found a gem of information that I can't believe that we missed, honestly, and blows the whole thing open in terms of, like, the future of our show, I think. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, it has very good performance um, in this one specific <laughs> category. <laughs> It's position 74 in the comedy podcast category in Pakistan. So thank you, Carlos, for for letting us know, making us aware. I don't know, honestly, what we're supposed to do with that information. He doesn't offer anything that we should do with that information. He just ends up by saying this data was provided by Podstatus, a a subsidiary of Podmatch, uh, and then goodbye. (laughs) So I guess he's just giving us a friendly heads up. And you know what? I appreciate it because that's some killer info. I love, you know, being big. It just only makes sense that we would be big in Pakistan. I feel like. I mean, how? Of course. Of course. We yeah. Are. Everything about our show just reads to, you know, culture is different than our own, I guess. Well, I gotta say. well we also do, uh, we redo this podcast because as we've told on the podcast, everything is scripted. We we do two. Sure. We do one in English, one in Urdu. So it makes sense <laughs> that it's big in Pakistan. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What Call of Duty couldn't, we could. <laughs> That's a very old reference to like the fifth most recent Call of Duty game coming out and having signs in the Middle East in like the wrong language when it should have been Urdu. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Why would they do that research? Is... They're just a No, yeah. A small They're just company. A... Yeah, a global multi-million dollar video game making company that has set games in the Middle East for decades. Yeah, for as long as it's been around. All right. Well, yeah, that's been mail time. Listener mail. Please email us uh, at beachboysboys at gmail.com, and we would would love to hear from you and read your emails on air. And as we uh, have said in the past, if you know us in real life, please don't email us. No. Yes. Just give us some, like, send. That's where we want. This email is where we want, like, your Christmas update. 
you know, like your yearly, yeah. here's eight paragraphs on how the family's doing. Mm-hmm. Send that to mm-hmm. beachboysboys at gmails.com. Please. And, you know, right. we should start a P.O. box just so we can get listeners Christmas cards. Because I imagine listeners would love to send yeah. us that, too. Yeah. They're littering looking. the houses of the Beach Boys and Rolling Stones members just because they don't know where else to send them. Yeah. They assume yeah. they'll get in touch with us, but... Right. You know, as exactly. they are fans of this podcast and we do not reach out to them, yeah. the Rolling Stones and the Beach Boys, we are that to them. We are their fans. We reach out. Nothing. Nothing back from them. The best yeah. I could get was a chocolate bar. So, Right. And you had uh, to pay for that. Exactly. They said they'd it, send it for free. And then they were like, here's the link to get your free chocolate bar. And it was just the store page. Yeah. And it cost so me $20 in shipping. Move. So, yeah. Oh man, I don't regret not getting one of those, but it was I kind of wish I had. Incredibly mediocre. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's you know what, PJ, let's get into a little bit of the Rolling Stones. Let's Uh, let's see. First off, the biggest news, we're so today we're into the swinging 90s, the the era of swing music and ska, uh which the Rolling Stones <sighs> thankfully don't touch. Um don't you but a I assume bit they'll wish get they would have? Yeah, oh yeah. I assume they'll get to it on a bigger bang. They'll be like, and yeah. here's our ska track. We're right on time, right guys? Yeah. Super cool third wave yeah. ska. Uh, just to wrap up one note from the 80s, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1989, which must have been a very confusing ceremony because people must kept up being like, so you're with the magazine, right? And they're like, no, 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 no. We're the band the rolling stones and they're like yeah the magazine rolling stone that made the hall of fame yeah like you're just magazine employees right where's yawn at a lot of back and forth they almost couldn't even get on stage to accept the award because security was like guys no you're obviously lying no reporters yeah yeah (laughs) so anyway i think that's all that needs to be said about that Um, um i believe same year as the beach boys right i yes because you said 89 was the, and because they started the same year, the eighty nine was the Beach Boys, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Chuck Berry, Elvis. Maybe yeah. I we've done this on the podcast before. You know what? If I had done literally any research, we would have just had this information in front of us anyway. Yeah, so, I think I got it. Inducted exactly right, by though. Pete Townsend of the Who. Who else? Of course, right. we've also talked friend, about that. Pete. I think. Did we really? I believe so. This was a while ago. Let's see. So Bill Wyman, Brian Jones, Charlie Watts, Ian Stewart, Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, Mick Taylor, and Ron Wood were among oh. the performers inducted like as band members, which is wild. Oh, I'm also super wrong because I keep thinking 89 was the first year, but 86 was the first year. And that's when. Yeah, but they couldn't. But they do the dumb thing about whenever like your first album came out, it has to be 30 years from then. Right. Wait, no, but so, that wouldn't make any sense. No, because that'd be only 20 years. Is it 25? I think it's 25 years or something. God, it literally doesn't matter. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is stupid and is a it's, fake thing. Okay. Oh, okay. 88 was the Beach Boys, the Beatles, Bob Dylan. Good. Yeah, and then the next year was the Stones. Okay. Good for them. Okay. I suppose. So, uh, so as they move into the 90s, uh, they officially announce Bill leaves the band in 93. Sorry, sorry, f- Peter officially left I'm i need you to so hard. i know you are I, but i am on the rock 
It's sure. I'll give you the link even. Rockhall.com slash inductees slash classes and then any year. But they have oh, the yeah, post I... they have the posters oh. that they have made for every year and they are all god awful. Um you can well, like go yeah, all the way sense. back to what was the most recent one? They got more basic as it went on, but still just the worst graphic design you can think of. Holy yeah. shit. Go take a look at this. <laughs> oh. Anyway, I just needed to go off on that tangent for one second. Let's see the other the other inductees in the class of 1989. Dion. The Ink Spots. Otis Redding. Bessie Smith. Uh Phil Spector. <laughs> yeah. The Soul Stirrers. And- the Temptations. Wow, there are a lot of people. Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Wow, this this year, it is a picture of Bessie Smith in the middle, and then what seems to be abstract painting beneath her. It also looks like there's a wiener above her head, and then everybody who was inducted that year just signed it. Oh, that's cool. What a what a nice design. Anyway, okay, so Bill officially leaves in 93. He actually left in 91 after the tour. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, so Voodoo Lounge uh, we get to next after their Steel Wheels mega tour, whatever that was called. Um, yeah. Wheeling around the world or whatever. Uh, so their first album to be recorded without Bill. Daryl Jones, who I think has worked with them before maybe, um, fills DJ. in as a contract player. Okay. And then Chuck Leavell, who's been on the last couple albums, um, stays on and I think records maybe on the rest of their albums from here on out um, as kind of a new in-studio keyboardist after Ian Stewart died in the early 80s. Um, neither of them ever become full band members because after Bill leaves, they induct uh, what's-his-butt, Ronald Donald Wood, uh, officially. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And then decide to just keep it as a four piece because uh, a quarter of a pie is better than a fifth of a pie. I've always said that. So, yeah. Now they. Um... Sorry. Now uh, they also bring in another outside producer. Uh, last time on Dirty Work, um, they had Steve Lilly White and then Steel Wheels. We didn't really talk about, but it was their kind of latter era classic lineup of just the glimmer twins and then chris kimsey uh producing which i think they've done that pair since tattoo you except for the steve lillywhite but yeah regardless um so this time they bring in don was or was i don't know how i'm supposed to pronounce his name wood you're thinking ron wood sure yeah 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 we've talked about how he's on was So he had already kind of a little bit like Steve Lillywhite kind of was like a newer, a new school producer who'd earned a bit of a reputation by working with um, like some old school or some larger acts. So he'd done albums with the B-52s, with Bob Seger. Uh, I think he produced what was Bonnie Raitt's first album. Oh. Um, He had a reputation for producing in a very old school kind of blues rock sound. Uh, So seemed perfect for the Stones, at least from the outside. Uh, Mick wasn't happy because (laughs) he was a little more controlling than producers they'd worked with before. 
Um, so Mick said that but, they had so some. How yeah. do you think that conversation goes in the studio where Mick is like, I hey, we're Rolling Stones, you don't talk to us like that. And this guy's like, yeah, yeah. I worked with Bob Seeker, so hush up. Like, <laughs> yeah, excuse me, ever heard of Rock Lobster, my man? <laughs> that was this guy. Um, No, I mean, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I think it works like, they all sit around, maybe with some person from the record label, and they're like, we really think it would help you guys to bring in an outside producer, get a little, like, you know, fresh uh, fresh face in there. And the band's like, all right, yeah, sure, sounds good. And they, like, look around, they find someone who seems cool, and then Mick just bitches about it, like, every time he's not in the room, and every other band member is like, dude, we know, we all agreed to do it, just, it's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. it's not the end of the world. But it does seem a little weird. Um, Mick, let's see. Mick was unhappy because they had some more kind of offbeat songs apparently written that Don was uh, next in the studio. Mick called them groove songs with African influences and things like that. And he steered us clear of all of that. And I think it was a mistake. Uh, So Don was responded saying he was not, quote, anti-groove, just anti-groove without substance in the context of this album. They had a Fucking number of great roasted. grooves. Yeah. They had a number of great grooves, but I was like, okay, what goes on top of it? Where does it go? So he'd been listening to them since Black and Blue, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He, <laughs> he knows what he's in for. Huge fan. Yeah. Yeah. He said, I felt that's just not what people were looking for from the Stones. I was looking for a sign that they can get serious, still play better than anybody, and write better than anybody. So, um, it kind of worked. Well, I mean, it's at least a good idea. Like, obviously, since Black and Blue, they have not been at the top of their game songwriting wise. Right. Um, I mean, and it's. I was actually thinking about this though. It seems a little weird to me because I was going to attribute it to like, well, after Jimmy Miller left on Goat's Head Soup they've been they've self-produced essentially the whole time so maybe that's why they like have been bad at self-editing but i'm here to say i don't think jimmy miller edited them a lot i think he added a lot and like helped them maybe write better songs and like come up with some better arrangements but i don't think there was ever a point in the jimmy miller era where they wanted to put a song on and he said Guys, I don't think we should do it. Like, I don't think it's working. He's not a no man. But they were just at the top of their game, so it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if they've ever had to be, like, edited before, honestly. Like, they've probably had the record labels send back some songs occasionally, maybe, in the 70s and 80s, but never with a a producer who, in the studio, is like, no, 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 no. Let's just move on from this song. I mean, not, not since the early days. Like probably, yeah. With like Lug, who would be Lug, like, "That sucks, yeah. fuck that." Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I yeah, that I'd never thought about so, that, but that totally yeah. makes sense that nobody's told them no because you know at their yeah. height they weren't told no, which was a good thing. But then, yeah. holy shit, that's a good point. So Pete. yeah, but at this point, obviously, I think after fifteen years of like mediocre to terrible music, it it can't hurt basically to, to give it a shot, which is even yeah. though Mick was maybe unhappy, he maybe realized just pragmatically, like we got to try something new here. Cause yeah, they're not doing great. So, um, 
On the other hand, well, though, I kind of Voodoo Lounge is produced very well, and I would actually be intrigued to hear Voodoo Lounge with some more experimental songs on it. But whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what's interesting, even though they get off to a bit of a rocky start, Don was produces well they've only had four albums since voodoo lounge but he produces the rest yeah. of their albums so he's stuck stuck with them as their uh producer that kind of makes sense i guess yeah. i mean voodoo lounge sold well, i mean they right? voodoo lounge did very well and i is yeah. like fairly well regarded same with bridges to babylon i think same with a bigger bang i cannot say i've read one <sighs> sentence about blue and lonesome but <laughs> but um <laughs> Like I think you know their their later their albums with him I think are definitely more well regarded than any of their stuff in the eighties. So yeah, there you go. I mean, okay. Makes uh, sense. Let's see. The album was named after well, it's confusing. So in one source, the album was supposedly named after a cat that Keith adopted when they were recording in Barbados that he named Voodoo because he's a very creative person exactly um and the place they were this is the guy who wrote brown sugar so yeah yeah and the cat hung out on the porch at the place they were staying and he named it voodoo lounge like voodoo's lounge sorry but then also in another place and maybe it's the same place but i didn't know ronwood owned a house in barbados but in another place it's that he was staying at ronwood's like guest house and named it Voodoo Lounge, maybe after the cat, maybe not. And then I think the album art was like a painting he did and put on the wall as like, I don't know, whatever. This is the Voodoo Lounge logo. So they were trying to come up with an album title and Mick was like, that's kind of a cool name and like we could use that painting. And so they did that. Hmm. Okay. So I have uh, had... When I was like 15, I bought a Rolling Stones poster when I had never listened to the album Voodoo Lounge. It is on my wall right now. Um, it is their 94 to 95 Voodoo Lounge Tour poster. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'll say I really, really like the Voodoo Lounge cover. I think it's their one of their cooler covers. I think it's a good Rolling Stones cover. I do not think it's a good album cover overall, though. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, I mean, I like the painting. I don't love the design, I guess, of the cover with how their name and Voodoo Lounge is on there, but I like it. Yeah, it looks like somebody made it in Microsoft Paint. (laughs) Kind of. So, Voodoo Lounge. Voodoo Lounge was released in 1994, July 1994. It went to number one in the UK and number two in the US. Um in the US it was behind the Lion King soundtrack. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> yeah. Um it was released either as a single CD or cassette or a double LP because it is their third longest album that has been released. Um second to the next album we're going to talk about, Bridges to Babylon is their second longest album ever released, and then their longest is Exile. Exile, um, yeah. Which as we talked about on Exile, actually, that's a pretty short double album. So these are all fairly short double albums. Um, Exile was 67 minutes. Uh, Voodoo Lounge is 62 minutes and 8 seconds. And then Bridges to Babylon is 62 minutes and 27 seconds. So just barely <laughs> beats it out. But yeah, they. I was interested that they were 
even in the 90s, I was surprised that they were still coming out on vinyl because usually with older acts, once you realize, like, when the CD era starts, their albums start getting to about an hour long because that was about what fit on original CDs. And so I was assuming that both this and Bridges to Babylon would have been CD and cassette-only releases because they're, like, the exact length of a CD. But no, they still came out on LP. Yeah, this was, like, towards the end of stuff. I mean... Yeah, for sure. And, like, what's weird, I actually looked it up. Bridges to Babylon comes out on LP, like, as wide re- in wide release. A Bigger Bang came out on LP on release date only in Europe, but still was a vinyl release, like, on the day they released yeah. it. Huh. And then Blue and Lonesome, because we're back in the, you know, vinyl resurgence of the 2010s, also came right. out on vinyl. So they've had every single one of their albums come out on vinyl, which is actually really nuts. That's for a band that went all the way through the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, you know. Yeah, kind of good for them. Like, yeah, that's neat. like a bigger bang is the only one technically that didn't worldwide, but yeah, it's but still you can still a, find an original Europe, pressing. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. it's huh. really that kind of blew my mind. So let's get into the the track by track of Voodoo Lounge. Track one, Love Is Strong. I mean, already, honestly, better than anything on the last two albums. This might be the best song they've released since Start Me Up. Is that crazy? This is no, a really I, good song. Like, I, I mean, I like Emotional Rescue, the song, oh, not yeah. the album. Well, that was but before I, uh, Start Me Up. That was oh, the year right. before. Totally. Yeah. This is definitely the best song since Start Me Up. This song rules. It's good. It's, it's like good. I'm it actually it it evokes Exile on Main Street, which is crazy to no, think in nineteen ninety four that it sounds like an exile song, but it really does. I don't know if it's like the production on it or if it's like that dirty, dirty harmonica. I but think it's, it's all good. of it. All of it it's working good. together. Him going yeah. into his Mick going into his low register. Like it's it's a very nice man. Yeah, no, it's a good song. Truly, I listen this being the first song on an album after yeah. those two stinkers, like I know. I was like, holy shit, we're in for something here. And yeah. Yeah. It's it's, it's pretty good. Bomb. The, the like the guitarist being so forward in the song too, I think is a lot is very exile-y. I think that's part of it as yeah. well. Well, and then here and Bridges to Babylon, they have gone. They fixed their guitar tone problems. Like oh, they have yeah. gone back to a much. Um, I mean, I think honestly, a lot of it is inspired both by Don was coming in, and then also they both seem. Both these albums seem to be definitely inspired by like the grunge rock revival of the 90s. Yeah. So I think they're definitely like back into, yeah, guitar, being a guitar focused band for sure. Yeah. And having that kind of more edge, uh, overdriven, edgy sound to the guitar. Yeah. So. Yeah. Cause those fucking un, you know, 
clean guitar tone that's real twangy and like maybe edited digitally was yeah. like so grating on my nerves uh <laughs> but this is great this sounds phenomenal yeah this is a really great opening track to this album yeah um you got me rocking The lyrics are obviously terrible. Uh, yeah, you can tell that right away. But it's a pretty good song. I would I would agree. It's very... Yeah. I mean, both of these songs so far are, like, a really good reference to, like, a bygone Stones era, you know? For sure, yes. Um, um, but it's, but it's like, good to hear them back, you know? <clears throat> Yeah, it's hard to know. It's weird with the Stones because it's like it's hard to know whether this would be good if they had kind of stayed like in their blues rock kind of roots the whole time. Like this would probably just be a bit of a shrug. But since they strayed so far, it's very cathartic to hear them writing. A return like, to form. Yeah, for real. Yeah, much yeah. more than Steel Wheels was. Um, mm-hmm. Like this really sounds like they actually yeah tried to go back to what their greatest era and oh yeah uh at least so far they're succeeding i mean it's not incredible but it's the best stuff they've done in a long long time so very long time yeah and what blew my mind too on this album and bridges to babylon is the dual guitars are back it sounds like yeah. both their guitar players are playing at the same time again which the, is there were real solos like yeah right? they have they have a middle eight section for solos like yeah yeah it's pretty it's pretty good um, Sparks Will Fly Gosh I want to like this song But I really hate the chorus It's It gets stuck in my head And, a, and I hate it <laughs> um, You know It's got a promising intro uh, And then kind of Is not good Charlie. Yeah. He's doing great. You, you know, we don't talk about Charlie much anymore, like, yeah. during the times, but he's killing it, man. He is. He's the um, redeemed, like, this song is fine. It's not bad. Yeah. Uh, supposedly, this song was written by Keith about Jerry Lee Lewis. Did he fuck yeah. Jerry Lee Lewis? He Okay, so apparently he and Jerry Lee Lewis at some point in the 90s went to jam together with Keith's band and wires got crossed where Jerry thought that they were making, like that they were going to be recording an album, not that they were just like jamming for fun. And so after they played, he started like, 
picking at Keith's bandmates being like, well, he's not very good. And like, you screwed up on this part. Like I think saying like, let's get some different musicians to actually record this shit. And Keith yeah. got really pissy at him for, you know, picking on his band. Huh. That's very funny. Yeah. Very interesting story. Um, that's funny because as I mentioned on the podcast a few months ago, Jerry Lee Lewis still wears Rolling Stones pajamas. Huh? Well, that's probably why he was so excited to record with Keith. He's like, it's got to yeah. be perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Sparks Will Fly is fine, but... It's mediocre. No. The worst. The worst. And then we get into a weird, like... They do, like, four or five ballads in a row here. Yeah. Which is an interesting choice. Can I say something crazy, Pete? I would love to hear it. My favorite Keith song so far. I kind of think I agree with you. It's really good. It's. Good. I don't know if it's my favorite of his at all. Like I would have to. We we should do an episode. We could add one more episode onto here where we just go through all the Keith songs and try and actually determine. Because I feel like every time one comes up, we're like, "Is this the best one?" We don't remember the last one. So yeah. Um. It's, it's really, though. it's very good though. Oh, yeah, I oh, like dude, the that... violins. I like the yeah. like the fiddle. I love Charlie's drums on it with the brush strokes and stuff. Like, it's a nice song. Yeah, it's a solid tune. It's some good shit. Imagine them being at a con or like playing a concert, right? middle of the show the lights go down keith comes to the front the lights go up he's there and i i imagine mick is there with a fiddle yeah that'd be sick yeah i gotta say i mean we're and this one too actually gives me some exile well not exile but like well yeah some exile and then yeah what was it sticky fingers with country honk like it gives me you know some of that 70s Rolling Stones vibes again of them doing kind of a country an actually good yeah. country tune it's good like phenomenal it's a good song and like yeah. so far three out of four good oh, job yeah. we're this is this <laughs> this batting average is this is the best we have done on the start of an album in a long time god in 20 years yeah in 20 years so here we go Just a short little ballad. I love it. Yeah. And, and Keith's I, voice I really also works like with how it. short it is. Actually, it helps. It makes it much better. New faces. Some harpsichord. And then yeah, I mean they're just yeah they are impressing me on this album with their. Because I also really like this song. It's good. Like, going into this, did you expect there to be a single good song on the album? I think it's like, I felt the same I felt since Some Girls, because I think we knew Black and Blue was going to be bad. Yeah. But since Some Girls, where I've, in the back of my head, been like, okay, this is supposed to be a pretty good one. Like, some, like people like it, so let's hope it's good. And this is the first time in 20 years that we've gotten an album that's been like, oh, this is actually, is this actually good? Yeah. So, 
This one just, it's, yeah, it's very impressive. I love the harpsichord. This, again, sounds like something from more like their mid-60s kind of era, but it's yeah. great. Very good. Very, very good. I also like, I think he's pronouncing the word insolent as insolent, just huh. to fit it into, like, the melody, and it's kind of great. An insolent stare. Maybe that's how all British people pronounce that word. Could be. You know, this gives me kind of uh, her uh, her Satanic Majesty's Request vibes. Yeah, for sure. With like it the harpsichord. Like, uh huh. Like our aftermath flowers, like yeah. that kind of era when they were in their kind of yeah. art rock phase. Yeah. But it's good. This could have been it's... on one of those albums, and I wouldn't have. Like 100%. Thought, like, yeah, if they had said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. This and Yeah, I everything except Sparks Will Fly could have been from like 67 to 72. Yeah. So far, which in songwriting said, quality er, and musical stylings. Yeah. And also Mick's voice, we just talked last week about how bad his voice is. Beautiful. It's, it must just be his effort level, honestly, yeah. because it's so good on this album and on or, Bridges to Babylon. Or maybe so it just it takes really a producer. Must be yeah, it must just trying. take a producer going, let's do more than one take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we try one where you aren't just kind of half talking, half screaming? Oh, all right, then I'll give you one. <laughs> okay, fine, you dick. Also, just a short little ballad, and I love that. Yeah. <laughs> It's very My nice. So far, Don shaky. was deserves to be their producer for sure. Yeah. Moon is up. good song it's all right this I one don't to me starts to sound a little more like this sounds a little bit like they were listening to like 90s rock when they wrote yeah. this song which it's not necessarily bad but it kind of loses the vibe we had going on here yeah i would say it doesn't really fit in so far on the album however and you know i don't really love the vocals on this one but i really like that like the drums that are just like mm-hmm. that kind of like pushing this. rhythm yeah yeah it's definitely not a bad one but I, I yeah I don't love it quite as much but it is very it's, it's good alright are you ready for the next one out of tears didn't they already do this Oh, wait, no, they had No Tears Left to Cry and No Use in Crying. Yeah. God, they're really good at writing songs about how you shouldn't really how, cry or how few, you should be done How few now. tears they have, yeah. <laughs> like, just name it something else, even if the lyrics are the same. Just don't make a third song about crying. And <laughs> You make a good point and everyone would realize that. That's so dumb. Also, don't love it. 
I feel like, I mean, this is just purely ordering. Maybe they wrote this one first, but it feels like they got really cocky after the first three ballads being great and then being like, we can do, we got it. We got another one, man. Yeah. And then it's like, it's, it's fine, but it's definitely yeah. not nearly as good. No, they could have, I mean, they could definitely cut songs from this album and this is an easy one that they could have gotten rid of. And they could have gotten rid of this one inside. and sparks will fly. And yeah. Uh, they would have had a very perfect five-song A-side. Yeah. Which it's been a long time for the Stones since that's... Uh... It's, I know, disgusting. Like, they could act... This album could have been good if they just did a little bit more editing. Is We really are back in the 60s and 70s, man. <laughs> Truly. Um, and what's, it's not like a bad this song. This is still... a little further. I feel like something happens. Maybe Mm, kinda. This is also like a '90s rock thing, where like the big flowing, like upwards yeah. kind of, like the Verve kind of. Right. Um, it's yeah. It's it's not terrible, but it's definitely a shrug. It's definitely better than anything off of Black and Blue. So I go wild. Um, Mick mostly plays the guitar on this. He wrote it with Charlie. Wow. This one is like... It's not bad. It's... I mean, definitely not my favorite on the album, but like, it's very... Not Goat's Head Soup, but like. Maybe. Maybe like a Sticky Fingers outtake. Yeah. Yeah, it's. It's kind of a shrug for me. No, it's not. It's not good. It's not bad. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's back However, to their mediocre rock ways. Yeah. You know, and here's the thing though, there's no song on here that I've been like, Ugh, yuck. It, they've all been either sure. good or mediocre, which or just a shrug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, the Stones, you're doing good, ish. All right, brand new car. Do you think they wrote this song after Mick bought the 1994 Toyota Camry that I owned in college? Oh, I assume so. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah. Bought it, it drove it new off the lot in 93, you know, the 94 model year. Right. That was like, wow, I'm just so obsessed with this Toyota Camry. It has AC. Did... Incredible. You know, here's the thing, though. In the 90s, I feel like even rock stars were driving cars like the Toyota Camry. Because, <laughs> like, there Maybe. was no nice car in the 90s. I mean, there were. There were Cadillacs yeah, they didn't really have, like... Right, but it was, like, there weren't quite, like, luxury there, cars in the same There was, like, it was like an extra had a Rolls Royce or just a normal car. Yeah. Exactly. Like... Um, all this is to say, this song's another shrug. Yeah, it's very... Very bad. Not bad. 
It's basically just an excuse bad, to but... do a bunch of dumb car sex cliches. Yeah, which, you know, I'm sure they loved coming up with that. It was, yeah, it was probably fun to write, but that's the only fun part of it. I like the horns. The horns are good. Yeah, yeah the horns are good. Like it's you know it's a bad car song when you start coming up with like sexy car phrases that aren't even things you would it's say. Just illogical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Give us a stick. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Sweethearts together. I don't remember this one. I gotta say the end of this album, like the the whole back half is somewhat of a blur for me. Oh. Yeah, this one's okay. It's fine. Yeah. Um I really like the the like country guitar that's there, like the sweeping country guitar that's there mm. every yeah. so often. Yeah, it's got some good stuff going on, but as a whole... As a whole? It's just mediocre again. Yeah. Um, the, the Jimmy Buffett flamenco guitars are yeah. really good. Um, yeah, I don't think anything else happens in this song. I don't. To where I think we can skip it. Uh, back on the jugular. Suck it. I will say, I don't remember this, and this sounds very 90s rock. Yeah. Um, even if it's a mediocre song, Mick's voice is just better this album. We've, we said it, it before, sounds but. fantastic, yeah. Like 10 times better. Yeah. Machine. Come get together and feel all right. So this was one of those grooves that Don was was like, oh, it goes somewhere. Yeah. This groove <laughs> goes somewhere though. Yeah. Oh, this one's got oh, potential. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just if this you're, the whole time. Okay, here's the thing. They either pushed back really hard on the groove thing, or I just don't believe him. Because if you're so anti-groove, but you're like it's good enough. We should stick it on. We should make it track 11 on a 15 track album. You don't actually think it's that good. Also, that's my uh, mother's sister's name is Auntie Groove. Um. Oh, I thought it was track 11 on a 15 track album. <laughs> no, that's Very my dog's specific. name. Yeah, nice. Once again, it's this, nothing else happens. No, this is the first actually bad song. Yeah. And it's actually pretty bad. Well, maybe. And you know, if, if you're looking through the track listing and you just see the names, you're going to be like, yeah, that's a, that's going to be bad. There's no way. I mean, Suck on the Jugular could only be good if it was just um, whatever that Blood Part 2 song was or 
What the fuck is that song called? Off Undercover. So Much Blood know. or whatever, where he just raps about oh, yeah. watching scary movies. That's the only yeah. way Suck on the Jugular could be good, if it was just that part two. That is... Anyway. I, I do miss that song. Let's move on. Blinded by Rainbows. Now we're into the part of the album where you're like, wow, there's more songs, huh? Yeah. They could have done a single LP and maybe uh, Just, cut some of the fat. I don't think we're saying anything new or like controversial, but just 10 tracks, 38 minutes, guys. That's all you need to do for almost any album. And then You're the goddamn like, Rolling Stones. Nobody's wanting art from you. Yeah. Like, no one needs bloat unless you're at the very top of your musical. Yeah, but by the 90s, no thank game. you. Yeah. No. Write some hits and then shut up and play them at the concert. Right. It's yeah. It's fine. It's a shrug. Yeah, I like the guitar tone on this. I will say. Yeah. But this sounds like a song that it sounds like they were trying to conjure up a wild horses again. You know. Oh yeah. And this but, should have been left on the cutting room floor. Like this should have been yeah. inside. There's just not enough interesting happening. Yeah. Next, baby, break it down. Promising start. Mm-hmm. This is better. Yeah, it's solid. I, like, I mean, the guitar, the guitar riff is good. It's got a nice groove. There's, there's somebody who's doing when they're doing gang vocals. Somebody is doing such a low voice, and every yeah. time I've listened to it, I'm like, Ooh. maybe Mick. Maybe he's double. It up might be because he I can think, sing really low. Yeah. Let's listen for it again next time. It couldn't sound. I think it's Mick. I think you're right. Yeah, this song is pretty good. Yeah. It's. I wish it had it is like the horns from Big. Brand New Car or something on it. That would help a yeah. lot to make it more oh. interesting. Yeah, if this song had yeah, some I feel horns. like this one has potential if they had paid a little more attention to it. Yeah. I mean, they do gang vocals, which I love, but, you know. Yeah. All right. Pretty good. Through and through. And then, yeah, we end here with a double dose of Keith Ballads, I believe, right? Uh, what's the list? Yeah. Yes. Wait, no. Right. Well, it, I think they're both ballads, but through and through is the one Keith sings on.
I know we've talked this, a lot about this song's not particularly good. No, we've talked a lot about the best Keith vocal. Yeah, <laughs> we've not talked a lot about the worst Keith vocal. Yeah, and I think this is a contender. This one's not good. It's also six minutes long, and it's yeah. not worth it. It's just not. Ugh, ew, you know yeah. he. It sounds like he's trying to do like a a Bruce Springsteen thing maybe and it's just not working for him yeah yeah fucking next mean disposition oh my god I don't know what I was thinking of with maybe does Bridges to Babylon have two ballads at the end actually yes Bridges to Babylon ends with two Keith ballads that's what I got confused about I was thinking the same thing. This one's not bad. It's like they're trying to go back to like their very early days. Yes. Which I like. This is kind of like Baby Break It Down, where it's like if they had just like produced these better, like added some more stuff. Yeah. You know, it would. I feel like they put horns on all the wrong songs. Yeah. Ooh, but it is that good. piano though yeah. yeah but all in all the the back half of this album really like i don't even know if i could edit it down to being like five good songs because there's really only a couple Two. with promise and that's it yeah worth i worth mean talking about if they did a seven song ep huh yeah it'd be pretty fire hang fire my friend um well so overall what are your thoughts on voodoo lounge pj i have i've maybe heard one or two songs off this album before listening to it this week i was expecting it to be far worse after uh black and blue and um the other one not black and blue um Dirty Work and Steel Wheels. Dirty Work and Steel Wheels. Sorry. No. Uh, I was expecting it to be way worse after Dirty Work and Steel Wheels. Um, yeah. But it is kind of a breath of fresh air for the most part. Um, I think this is probably going to get a better rating than it should deserve in my mind because it <laughs> yeah. comes after such shitty yeah. albums. Um, no, it was... Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. <laughs> I'm going to say it was a pleasant listen because of that, where I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to suck, but it didn't suck that bad. I mean, some of them, yeah. There are a few stinkers, but, you know, for the most part, it's either mediocre or good. I agree. Like, this is definitely the first album in just so long that has multiple songs that I want to listen to again, which is wild. Exactly. Stones. Yeah. These days, so... But the yeah the back half just really drops off, and then even the whole first half isn't that great. I think I gotta go five. Five is Maybe fair. Five. I was gonna say five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going. I was man, debating we're just in between step recently. I feel like on the yeah. Reading. Well, and I was gonna do. Well, the last two we said in unison. So. Well, true. Yeah, that's um, that's pretty easy. You know, I was gonna go maybe six. 
But then yeah. you're right about that back half where it just gets it's, if there were even like two or three more good songs, you know. But they they obviously didn't quite have their songwriting back, like because they got like five great ones or four maybe on the first half. Um, but then just kind of lost yeah lost the thread. I think yeah. it would have felt like they were a lot better if the album was shorter if they had yeah. cut it down to 10 songs even if five of them were kind of shrugs then it would have been half good instead of like one third good so yeah it kind of hurt them that the the it was just so many mediocre songs at, y- the, you know, at the end but at least if we did a best of for this era which we will not be doing um we would have a few <laughs> we would actually have some songs to choose yeah you know what, man? We actually, depending on how... I don't want to give anything away for Bridges to Babylon after the break, but depending on how the 2000s albums are, we might do a 90s and 2000s best of. There might be... We could do that, although yeah. That could be our final on the best episode. Of, part of the fun is wrapping up... Well, no, our final will be... What did we do? Didn't For the Beach Boys, we do our favorite songs of all time and then ranking the albums i forget we did something like that. that's what we did yeah absolutely that's what we did yeah but and then we talked about our they're actually like some of these songs would at least be in contention on the wider rolling stones best of like playlist depending on yeah some of them they're actually for sure good songs yeah so well we want to take a break and then come back to talk bridges to babylon absolutely we do pete and we will be right back after this. That he fell upon the cross. Did you ever feel the night? Tearing flesh that's all so soft. Did you ever touch the night? And welcome back to the Rolling Stones Studs, uh, where we're talking about the the gay nineties, the, yeah. the homosexual nineties. Yeah, um, the eighteen nineties or the gay nineties, the nineteen nineties or the homosexual nineties. Homosexual nineties. Right. That's when it was cool to be um, gay. Hell yeah! I mean, it's still PJ. It's still cool to be gay. Well, now it's cool again to be gay. Like you know how all the '90s fashion is coming back with what with the crew neck sweatshirts. <laughs> it and got the, lame. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for a while. It yeah. it got really lame for a while. While Cheney was vice yeah. president, and then sure, it's cool again. It's come back around. Yeah, now that Liz is okay with gay marriage, it's definitely cool to be gay again. We can yeah, all, we can all be out in the open now. Um. Is Dick Cheney dead? He's not, right? No, no. Wow, that guy's got to die soon, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you type it in Dick Cheney on Google, probably third... he's really old. Yeah. He's. Jesus Christ. He's 80. He's only 80? He's only 80? He looks 80. He looked 80 when he was vice president. Yeah. How is he only 80 now? That's that is wild. crazy. Yeah. All right. Well. We're moving on to Bridges to Babylon. It's They only had two albums out in the whole decade, so we're just cutting through both of them in one episode. We have Bridges to Babylon, uh, and thankfully, it it was it only lasted two albums. They're fighting again. Hell yeah. yeah. 
Uh, so Keith, Keith and Mick uh, were not on speaking terms during the recording of Bridges to Babylon. What happened? Wow. Yeah. Uh, so did they both they use decided... Ronald Donald Wood as like, hey, will you please tell Mick to sing a little quieter? Oh, you can tell Keith to tone that guitar down, mate. <laughs> Don't know why uh, only one of them British. Charlie Watts was the go-between, all joking oh. aside. <laughs> and of course he was. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so they what? recorded in L.A. Uh, for the first time in a while. Um, so because they wanted to be a little more central to like the music scene, uh, they've been doing a lot of recording in Barbados. Jamaica, uh, through Barbados. The 80s. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they'd done a lot of stuff in France in like the 70s uh, and 80s. So so they wanted to be in L.A. to be kind of in the music scene uh, because especially Mick was really interested in bringing in more outside producers and musicians to kind of update their sound or keep you know, them fresh, I guess. At this point, if there's one thing I know about the Rolling Stones is that they're not into the big music industry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Mick brings in, let's see, three producers uh, to work with on this album. So mm, first, uh, the, the most famous ones, me. yeah, the Dust Brothers, uh, who at this time were most well known for working with Beck and the Beastie Boys. Yeah, uh, and were you know into sampling and kind of mixing like rock and hip hop sounds. And then the other two he brought in were Danny Saber and Babyface, uh, who Saber was kind of a remix guy. Uh, and then Danny Saber and Babyface, I mean, did like R&B and pop. And then they also are keeping as the executive producer for the album Don Was, uh, by the way, okay. on this one. This is kind of like a Rick Rubin situation where there's like one old ass producer and then a few guys. He's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you guys should just do everything. Yeah, maybe he's a, a bit little more bit, involved. Except, yeah. I feel like Don must have been a little, like it probably was kind of weird though, because he was like a younger, at least comparatively, guy, and it only yeah. worked with them on one album so far, and then immediately they're like, let's just bring in another, a bunch of other producers though. So I mean, like, I guess kudos to him for sticking with it and you know yeah. sticking through it enough to keep being their producer later. Um, so this, but Mick bringing in all these guys made Keith really unhappy. And did not like the ideas that Mick had. Um, at one point, he kicked Danny Saber out of the studio when he showed up and saw that he was recording guitars for some track he was working on with Mick. Hmm. So Keith decided to bring in a producer of his own to produce songs. <laughs> uh, so he brought in a guy named Rob Fraboni, uh, who'd worked with a lot of classic rock bands and done the some of band, Keith's right? solo stuff. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, that's what I know him from. I don't know anything else he's done, but uh, I think he had done Keith's Keith and Mick had also had a like more solo albums out in the '90s, and I think he had done Keith's solo stuff. Okay. Yeah, Rob Fraboni has worked with Bob Dylan, the band, Eric Clapton, the Beach Boys, the Beach Boys. Oh, the Beach Boys. Let's look it up. Oh, he engineered Ceylon Sailor and mixed half of uh, Holland. Which would oh. be his first album that made it on the charts. So wow, the very wow, he really tied in, huh? He apparently Crazy. worked with Jimmy Miller on Goat's Head Soup, the album where they kicked Jimmy Miller out because they hated his work so much. So right. Huh. Anyway, so he's been around apparently. Um, so Keith brings him in as his producer. He's gonna work with. 
Uh, and then Charlie also at some point brought in like another percussionist that he like worked with the whole time. So they were all just, they were doing the, the Beatles let it be thing where they just brought in their friends to come, you know, be their friends. However, how kick-ass is it that Charlie Watts brought in another percussionist? Yeah. Cause isn't it funny that it's just like, why don't you do it? Yeah. <laughs> what if he did that for all the songs? So, so Don was started working with Keith and Mick only in separate rooms. Like he learned pretty quickly that they weren't going to work together at all. And Charlie was kind of the middleman, uh, in the band and Ron Wood, I guess a little bit as well. Um, by the end of the, uh, recording, Mick refused to attend sessions arranged by Keith at all. Uh, and Charlie left LA the minute apparently he was done recording his parts. He got the fuck out. Smart. I gotta say, as somebody who's been the in between on like jobs, yeah, you gotta you gotta get out of there, man. Yeah. So, but for some reason or another, they kept it together enough. Like they were still okay enough with each other to go on tour. Um, because they had this whole tour planned around the concept of the album. So, the album art, uh, was done by some random guy. Uh, who Mick hired to go to do their album art. And he had him go look at this art exhibit of Babylonian art that was on display at the time in London. And so the guy went and was inspired by this like lion sculpture. And so came up with the album idea, the album cover idea. And then the rest of the album photos all kind of had this like desert ruins theme. Mm -hmm. And then for their tour, Mick wanted to, make that like their stage design kind of like ruins of a palace kind of thing, I guess. Um, and he was inspired or impressed or jealous. I don't know of U2's pop Mart tour. So he really <laughs> wanted to get like a large scale production, you know, stage wise going. So that was their bridges to Babylon tour. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Um, and then that's kind of it. I mean, like, obviously they fought throughout, and I think it will. This is kind of one of those, I think, where you just got to hear the songs to know what the fuck happened here, because it's yeah. something else. Um, I guess the there's a couple more things, actually, real quick. Uh, eight different people played bass on the album, for whatever reason. Maybe showing how many outside people they're bringing in. Um, including Daryl Jones, their contract guy. But, um, and then also, oh yeah, we have a Beach Boys Boys connection. Ooh, uh, two. Speaking of Holland, guess who shows up on, uh, on this album? Uh, Blondie, Blondie. Blondie Chaplin. Yeah. yeah. He plays, uh, unclear which songs, uh, the Wikipedia credits are really bad. But he plays bass, maracas, piano, tambourine, and sings backup vocals uh, on this album, all at different cool. points. Um, yeah, actually, now that we know that about Rob Fraboni, I wonder if he uh, like had stayed friends up. with him or something. Yeah, I'd um, be surprised. And then Billy Preston shows up for the first time in quite a while uh, to play organ on "Saint of Me." Yeah, so. what, what was the last? When was the last time we saw Billy Preston? It would have been. Man, that's um, a very good question. I would guess, not counting Tattoo You, because those were all outtakes, I would guess Emotional Rescue? Yeah. I th- 
I think that's actually. Right. I'm sure on his Wikipedia he has a. Uh, he was on Tattoo it? You discography of stuff. So let's see. Tattoo You. I'm looking at it right now. Um. Tattoo You. <coughs> yeah. Was the last thing he was on. Was that the most recent one? Nice. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> so. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so Bridges to Babylon came out. God damn it. That's some editing, sorry. In 1997. Uh, so Bridges to Babylon came out, yeah, in September 97. Uh, went to number three in the U.S. and number six Ooh. in the U.K. Yikes. Only um, four years later, 9-11 happens. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, like we just talked about, it's their second longest album. Uh, and released as a double LP again, crazy late for a, a vinyl to be coming out. I feel like uh, yeah, the first album cassette. I would have been alive for that they've released. Uh, yeah, true. I think I would have technically yeah. been alive for Voodoo Lounge, but I would have been <laughs> a little too young to walk into the record store and buy it. So let's uh, let's get into that track by track. Let's flip the switch, Pete. Flip the switch. Already? No. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Um, It sounds like six different people made this song. <laughs> this one feels a little bit like they're just going back to the Steel Wheels thing, where they're like, if we just play like really loud rock, like it works that right? means good yeah yeah and like their songwriting is not really <laughs> up front what it once was yeah i will say though mixed voice still sounds really good it's gotten yeah like he's not just doing this could be like a dirty work thing where he's just kind of yelling the whole time but he's actually singing and doing a good job that's true Actually, yeah. on first listen, I really liked this song, and then on subsequent listens, it started falling flat for me. So if if you know, if it wasn't for that intro, I think I would like it a lot more. But like that intro is so yeah. bad to me; you can hear it throughout the rest of the song, and it yeah. drives me nuts. Yeah, I kind of like I kind of like the little riff there. The thing Mm -hmm. um and then the lyrics are i don't know what they are but they're really funny at some point he starts just singing about what he's packing (laughs) and he goes toothbrush mouthwash all that shit (laughs) it's really really charming so like this is i would say this is a solid album opener it's obviously nowhere near the voodoo lounge album opener but this one's i kind of like this one <laughs> yeah, it's fantastic. What a good lyric. I will say, I want to know what flip the switch means. What does flip the switch mean? Like, what switch are they flipping? Because he's talking about packing, and, like, it's just a lot of weird. I don't know. It doesn't really make any sense. Who knows, man? Those crazy stones are always writing about whatever they fucking feel like, man. Let's, uh, let's move on. Anybody seen my baby? 
This is the first uh, Dust Brothers produced track. This was the only one I had <laughs> ha- listen, heard before this. Oh, okay. I actually, yeah, I hadn't heard any of this or Voodoo Lounge. Okay. If they showed up on Gur, I did not get that far. Well, when did Gur come out? Like 2012 or something. Okay. The Gur, I think, was coincided. I think it was released at the same time as Blue and Lonesome, maybe? So 2016. Okay. See, I think. No, Gur was 2012. Okay. Because I know 40 Licks was 2002. Oh, yeah. They had Love is Strong and Anybody Seen My Baby on on Gur. Okay. Yeah, see, this was on on, um, 40 Licks, and that's why I think I know it. Um, so Katie apparently Lang? after I'm sorry yeah, wait, after wait, wait. the album yep no we'll, I, I'm huh, starting okay. into it right now after sorry, the album sorry. was finished <laughs> no it's it's fucking nuts after the album was finished Keith's daughter informed him that the chorus to this song was actually very similar to a Katie Lang song that was released like two or three years before uh, so they rather than like you know redo the song or take it off the album they decided to just give her songwriting credit when it was released hmm yeah that's actually very good of them I suppose yeah right but also cynically they're probably just like let's avoid a lawsuit (laughs) right I mean but even that like yeah good for them for just being like we'll just give it to her you know they've been so stingy Um, in the past it's like True. Why now? Why is this the turn? They have enough money at this point, probably. But I guess I think it's after this chorus. We'll get to the uh, rap breakdown, and then we can move on. Yeah. Can I want to listen to the KD Lang song that it's similar to? Do you know what song it is? Oh yeah. Give me a second. It's called "Give Me a Second." This song's really bad, aside from the rap breakdown we're going to get to. Just in case we needed to, you know, musically, this song is bad. Yeah. Aside from anything Oh, else no, it's there. it's not good. It's the song Constant Craving. I truly, this might be the most pointless rap breakdown of all time. It's just them <laughs> breaking it down to sample, by the way. They just sample a Bismarcky song. Like, they don't yeah. even get someone in there to rap it. And then they just sample the part where he calls out every borough of New York City. That's it. Maybe that's all they do. That's I guess, where his is baby it supposed is. to be? Yeah, exactly. Is it supposed to be like I'm looking for her? She could be in any of these five places? <laughs> it's so. What an insane waste of time this whole song is. Yeah. All right, let's give a quick listen to whatever Katie Lang shit this is.
You know, I had the pleasure of meeting her at a hotel I was working at a few years really? ago, and she was super sweet and funny. Won't forget yeah. that day ever. Smiley face. That's cool. Is that a YouTube comment? <laughs> the top YouTube comment. Nice. Is the second yeah. YouTube comment more like Katie Lame? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's close. I guess. Wait, I guess she could. Oh, it's the exact same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, damn, yeah. Yeah, they would have gotten sued for sure. In a heartbeat, yeah. All right. All right. Let's get back to whatever the fuck this album is. Low down. I love that guitar tone when it's like so um, overdriven that you hear the like clacking of the fingers and the pick on it. It's yeah, that is a great tone. Nineteen ninety seven was a big year for political news. Yeah. It's like please just no more politics. Exactly. Like I said, four years after this nine eleven yeah. happened. That's huge. This is a just a terrible song. What? I like this one. I think Lowdown is good. I don't like this. Interesting. I mean, it's there's it's definitely nothing special, but I kind of like it. I like the guitar tone on it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I kind of like um, the chorus. We can definitely move on. I would. I. I just. There's nothing special doing it for me on this one. Sure. Very already fair. over me. This one's phenomenal. Another bowl of soup, sir. Already love it. <laughs> it's You're not it's like he's over doing the, the Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon impression of the Bee Gees from Saturday Night yeah. Live. That's exactly yeah. what he sounds like he's doing. <laughs> the drums are good. Yeah, I gotta say, I had some good notes on this, but I don't think anything that I liked kicks in for a bit. On the way to Mexico. <laughs> it sounds... Yeah, his vocal take is not ideal. <sighs> yeah. Um... The guitar, I really like the like very loose acoustic guitar tone. That Yeah, and that slide is really nice. This honestly sounds like they uh, like all sat down and watched Houses of the Holy. And they were like, <laughs> wait, not Houses yeah. of the Holy. What's the... Yeah, what's the... Their movie? Yeah. I thought it was Houses of the Holy. 
Maybe it is. Yeah. The chorus is good. It's very good. Here. Like, they get into it okay, but the first part is just so bad, so... But there's some stuff to like, yeah, like the guitars are really well done on this song. Uh, the song remains the same. Oh yeah. It's like they sat down and watched the song remains the same, and they were like, boy, we know these blokes, we could do something like that. That was Charlie. That's my impression of Charlie. <laughs> Alright. It's not bad. It's pretty, except for the vocal take, yeah. it's quite a good song. Maybe they should let Keith sing it. Probably. Yeah. Do you Actually, still have notes on Yeah, it? maybe. I kind of think that'd be good. Nah, let's let's move on to whatever. Th- gun gun face. face. I remember loving that Transformer gun face. This was actually a superhero that uh, Mick had drawn in a notebook when he was 12. Yeah. It was about a guy with a gun for a face. Uh, so this is the first uh, Danny Saber produced song. Um, this song sucks. Oh, it's bad. Yeah. It's bad just name, terrible, bad terrible like generic '90s rock. But worse, because it's the fucking Stones trying to do yeah, it. Yeah, dude. I guess we could get to whatever the chorus is when he sings about Gunface. And I've got a gun face for you. Okay, let's go. Yeah, this is bad. You don't have to mean it. You don't have to mean it. Uh, This is a Keith song produced by his guy, Rob Ferboni. Yeah, this song fucking bops. I this might be one of their best or their best reggae song, right? It's good. It is good. I this song legitimately made me. Yeah, it legitimately made me wonder why do we hate them doing reggae again? Because this is good. It's because they have like actual horns on it. Their '80s reggae sucked. We've liked every reggae song they've done that wasn't in the '80s. That's and probably this is true. Yeah. Yeah. This is a very solid song. Uh, which is wild that like that the Keith written reggae song at track six is kind of the best thing that's on this album so far. Oh yeah. But this is a when, groove, when dude. did we get I love here, this. man? I don't think I love love it, but it's definitely good. It's good. You know, if we like this album enough, Pete, maybe we get this lion tattooed on us. Yeah, maybe. Keith's, uh, I gotta say, Keith's voice is really good again, too. It's very good. was on the last album. He's doing a good job. Yeah. Well, for the most part on the last album. That's true. Well, the one song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. We can probably move on, though. Out of Control. You know, whatever our next band we do is, we should listen to these albums when we're really drunk and then oh, yeah. listen to the first time sober on the podcast yeah. and see how we like it. I remember this album being really good. 
And then it's, you know, like... That's kind of... I will say... That's kind of how Bridges to Babylon was for me. The first time I listened to it, I got really into it. And then listened to it a couple more times and was like, what did I... What was I hearing? This is not nearly as good as I thought it was. Well, yeah. And you had taken ketamine before you listened to it the first time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This sounds like they're trying to do late era temptations. I don't know what they're trying to do here cuz when they when it kicks in it gets into just like very bland 90s rock again. Yeah. And so I don't know what the point of this song is at all. It's weird. It's a weird weird song. It's such a bad like oh my god. It's, I don't know why, it just feels odd hearing the Stones do, like, kind of recent, like, yeah. generic rock music. Like, in the 80s and stuff, You, it just feels like, oh, okay, it was of its time, you know? But yeah. then hearing them do stuff that's like, that could be, like, a Nickelback song now, you're like, why are we listening to this? <laughs> you know, it's weird as I, hell. This song, or, like, a Foo Fighters I, song kind of thing. Yeah. This song, I could hear somebody who, like, grew up with the Stones, was, like, 20 when they were, like, in their golden era. This song, I can imagine them being like, yes, they're back at it. Like, yeah. just a dude who's super into, you know, like, shitty late 90s rock, because yeah. he's like, that's real rock and roll again, you know? Well, it's, let's I get dis- out of here. I don't yeah. agree with that yet. Let's get Saint to Saint of, of Me. me. I'm going to request we just listen to the intro here. You're the one talking over it. St. Paul the persecutor was a cruel and sinful man. Jesus hit him with a blinding light and then his life began. I said, yeah. I said, yeah. I think they're trying to go for like the sympathy for the devil style kind of thing again, but it works for me, man. I think Saint of Me is a good song. I do not like the drums. They went back 10 years on the drums. But I don't think they went back 10 years. I actually think the drums are very like 90s to me. They sound like the drums that would underlay like a 90s electronics electronica song. Like something from like Moby or some shit in the nineties. Yeah, okay, I could hear like that. That kind of style. Like, just the fact that it's a drum machine, I was like, who the fuck was still doing that in the nineties? Yeah. But is this well, a Dust Brothers song? This is the second Dust Brothers one. Yeah. Okay. So that makes so more like sense. It's kind of like a Becker or Moby yeah. type of yeah. Right. Like so that I kind of agree. I don't love, but I think this song is really cool actually. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. Speaking of Moby, like I'm digging mixed stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. Have you heard the story behind where Moby got all of his samples and stuff? No. It's incredible. So this guy called into a podcast where they like, you know, they take calls and they talk about, um, you know, like people have wronged them and they like, you know, just like tell their little story. And this guy was like, okay. I had a roommate in college. Um, my grandfather, father and I were all very into recording old, old field recordings that like yeah. were super rare. Nobody had ever heard them before, really. Like, they were, like, you know, 
things where record producers would just go out and record like sharecroppers and stuff or like you know people singing on the side of the road and he's like i let my college roommate like borrow it and then uh the next week he dropped out and he wasn't my roommate anymore and he took all my shit with me and his roommate was fucking moby that's nuts. He took all of, just all of this guy's collection of stuff and like made wow. millions, I assume, off of like remixing it. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, um, back to Saint Me. <laughs> yeah. Might um, as well get juiced. Oh, well, real quick. Do you want to go back? Do you want to go back to the Like, yeah, because there's like a little outro thing with some really nice guitar. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. The guitar in the song is really good. This is, I like, yeah. maybe the highlight of the album for me. Well, so this one, interestingly, so this was a Dust Brothers song that Mick wrote. Keith isn't on it at all. This is a rare Stones track where he doesn't show up at all. Um, so the guitar either has to be Ronald or Wadi Wachtel is credited with guitar on this track. I'm kind of assuming it's not Ronald. Like, it seems weird he would show up if Keith did yeah. to, like, to play. So. Yeah, they seem like buds. Yeah. And especially just because the guitar is, like, not Ron's style, at least that we've heard. Yeah. Like, it it sounds like they're trying to do a little Mick Taylor-y stuff. Which, like, why not just get Mick Taylor? I'm sure they huh. could have. Yeah, good point. If they had asked, maybe. <laughs> maybe. I'm trying to... I don't remember when the actual, like, outro thing is, but whatever. It's probably coming up on it. It's good. This one's, like, worth listening to all the way through, but... We can move on to yeah no that's fine we can listen to the no this was probably the highlight of the album for me and i think it is largely pr- the production on it it's very good yeah which i think is a very pretentious statement in the grand scheme of things well at least the dust brothers will be one for three yeah <laughs> i think it was this part this is like a really nice I also like that it sounds like, like with the chord progression and everything happening, it sounds like there's an organ on it, but there's not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Well, now there is an organ, but. Saint of Me is some good shit. All right. Let's get to Might As Well Get Juiced, the the last Dust Brothers track. And maybe the worst name for a song ever. (laughs) And we had Gunface on this album. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. I... Bad. Nope. They're doing Act Tune Baby, man. <laughs> They're doing their U2 electro pop moment six years later than U2. The, honestly, the drums are like good for not the Stones, man. Like, yeah. And I hate that. I absolutely hate that. You know what I will say about Might as Well Get Juiced is that. I I like it. I like that they committed so hard to the sound. Like, they did not half-ass anything on this one. They were just like, just take mix, like, take me all the way down. Just throw everything you got at this one, Dust Brothers. And I do not like, care for this song. There's no way it's a good Rolling Stones song. I think there's an argument to be made for it being just a good song. I would disagree, but I also do not like you too. 
I mean, it's really just like the weird electronic flourishes, like, you know, in a, and then his weird vocal filter and everything, but. You know, the, like the is very yeah. like Moby-esque. Yeah. Um, no, I don't like this song though. You know what? I think here's I think this is the reason that I liked it so much is that basically for the first time maybe since like fingerprint file on it's only rock and roll the more I listened to this song the more I was just like what the hell am I even listening to right now but in like a fun way not in a this is so terrible way just cuz I couldn't believe you know what I was hearing on a Rolling Stones album and Okay, but here's my thing. I like if it. you if you played this for your wife, she would be like, "Stop. Take this <laughs> oh, no. stop playing." That's this. that's a lot of music I listen to, PJ, so. That's a fair point. And then the harmonica solo, like it's kind of great, man. It's it kind of rules. It's definitely much better. Okay. The harmonica than is anybody phenomenal. seen my baby, like Oh, yeah. Yeah, if we're talking Rolling Stones, Dust Brothers tracks, this is a very solid number two. <laughs> it's number two with a bullet. Yeah, a very solid number two. <laughs> You're right about that. All right. Yeah, this... I'm I'm taking a Always. stand. Might as well get juiced rules. No. I, oh, this might be the first time you've liked a Stone song that I have not liked. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, Always Suffering. Kind of like um, already over me. I feel like I'd like this song a lot better, but the intro is just so slow and like not particularly great. The first, the first verse. I'm kind of okay with that. I like this song. Yeah, it's all right. It's it's not bad, um, but it's definitely not great. It's not nearly as good as already over me in terms of once a, again, you know, acoustic ballad here. Maybe if Keith was singing, it seems well, to be in his range. We'll get there. The Keith ballads here are yeah, they're, they're something the to talk about. So I like the suffering. Yeah, it's nice. The chorus is amazing. It's pretty good. It's it bugs me a little bit because it's like no, you're not. But you know. they're absolutely not. <laughs> but like you guys are fine, you know. All right, let's. Well, I don't. Let's keep, sorry, I don't want to move this on. No, if you still let's keep it moving. <laughs> too tight. Like we're doing their two longest albums in one episode, so. No, I get you. I totally get it. <laughs> hey, no, their second two longest albums. Oh yeah, true. The solid number twos. Yeah. Um. I like the intro on this song a lot. Yeah, this song's interesting. It's like kind of doing the, you know, 90s rock thing again, but it's a little bit better, I'd say, than the other ones. Once he starts singing, it's like, it's a no-go for me. Oh, yeah. No, it's bad. Yeah. I think I forgot what this song was, to be honest. No, I love the intro, though. I really do. Yeah. Let's wait for the chorus, and then I'll change it.
for me. I love that piano. Yeah, yeah there's some. All right. So now we have the two Keith uh, yeah. ballads here to end it. Thief in the Night. More like Keith in the Night. I kind of like this like really lo-fi drum sound. Yeah. It's all right on this one. It just makes me sleepy. But maybe that's also just the song. Itself. It might just be the song there. Yeah. And then once again, much like the last song, they start singing and I'm I'm out. Yeah, and you're like, oh yeah. I know we I know Keith has had a couple really good songs on these two albums, but also on this one I found myself thinking I don't think I could ever listen to a full Keith solo album. Absolutely <laughs> Just, not. He gets when he's boring, it's so boring. And he's done ballads before, like on Emotional Rescue and some earlier albums, and it's just it's so bland and like yeah. tiresome to listen to. It's fine when Mick is singing 80% of the other songs on the album. Right. There's some really good guitar right. lines on this one, but it's so boring. Yeah. I guess we could get to How Can I Stop? How Can I Stop? Is this um, Eric Clapton? Yeah. Thief in the Night is over five minutes. And then How Can so, I Stop is seven minutes. Seven minutes. For some yeah. reason, they decided that this could go on. Maybe. Who are they, the OJs? You oh, shit, this song sucks. Oh my god, I didn't know we were sitting in a coffee shop here listening to this asshole. Yeah, dude, this song fucking blows. I guess skip to like two minutes to the end and see if there's somehow a sweet outro jam that we missed. You know, I skipped to two minutes to the end. Did you notice a difference? Wait, really? I yeah. thought you restarted the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Sorry, song Keith. Blows. The worst way to end an album is with a six-minute song that's boring as shit. Wait, it's about to pick up. It doesn't, though. It goes back. There's that one, like, and then it goes back to the ooh-oohs. And then there's some Kenny well, G. Well, PJ, yeah, this is like the soft sounds of the Rolling Stones. The easy listening sounds of Keith Richards. Uh, what'd you think of Bridges to Babylon? You know, remember when I was like, Voodoo Lounge might get a better rating because it was after those two yeah. garbage, garbage yeah. albums? <laughs> this one might Bridges be to Babylon. Rating. Yeah, it followed it's after such Lounge. a strong return to form. Yeah. And then had like two maybe three listenable songs like they're all fine they're not as bad as yeah. you know the stones have been but how many songs on this album were good 
Yeah. Good. Yeah. Two? Three? Yeah. I gotta say, I like I said, I really, I was super excited when I first listened to this. And especially right after Voodoo Lounge, I was like, shit, these guys are good in the 90s all of a sudden. And then the more I listened to Bridges to Babylon, the more I realized it kind of blows. Um, which is disappointing. I gotta say, though, like, even though they're pretty mediocre again on Bridges to Babylon, at least on these two albums, which comprise the whole decade of their output, or their whole output for the decade, yeah. Uh, it at least they definitely care again, which for all they, of the '80s, it just was clear yeah. from their recordings that they didn't give a fuck. Well, but they like care, they're actually trying to write songs, and they're songs, trying different mix, stuff. Which yeah, is mix nice. trying to sing well, <laughs> like the guitar players are actually trying to both play guitar on the same song. Like, yeah, they're not just taking turns every other song. Yeah, so they're. You know, it's market improvements and like Bridges to Babylon is definitely interesting. Like I'd I'd rather, I guess, listen to some of this stuff than their other experimentations. But I think three out of ten is a a good rating. I'm going to we're just we're in lockstep again. I think I got to I got to go with that, too. Okay. Um, It's a fair rating. So, three. That has been the ninety, the the Rolling Stones hey, in the nineties. You didn't even you didn't even care about what I rated it. I thought you said a three out of ten. Well, I did just now, but then you didn't say anything about it. What do you mean? Oh, I was saying there were two or three good songs earlier, and then just now, oh, for I some said, reason, I thought you said three out of ten. Well, I did at, just at the give end it a of three out thing. of ten. So. Oh my gosh, PJ, I am so sorry. That's okay. My reaction is agreed. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Um, it's really not great. Yeah. No, I kind of, I mean, it's, we're, again, we're back to the Rolling Stones thing where you're like, oh, this could be good. I want to like it. And then they just, it doesn't work out. And then it's a <laughs> stinker. Yeah. yeah. So, but, you know, might as well get juiced is going on my daily playlist. So interesting okay yeah no it's not sane of me though that shit's good hey hey now now you're talking my language (laughs) well pj that's been the rolling stones in the in the 1990s that episode was for all the 90s kids out there who remember those albums from watching nickelodeon only 90s kids remember only (laughs) it'd be between episodes of only 90s kids remember bridges to babylon yeah well, Pete, I'll see you on the other side of that millennium. Yeah, that's right. Right, you know, we're gonna we're gonna swing right on through to uh, to a, the biggest bang, the biggest old bang. And remember, please send us emails at beachboysboys at gmail dot com. All right, see, see you, you next time.
A Beach Boys Boys production.